Scripture reading for today comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Well, good to be with you, New Life. Good to see you guys. How's everybody doing? We're doing good. Awesome. Cool. Um, Yeah, Kevin and I, uh, I actually spoke at New Life one time before. It was 4th of July, 2021. Uh, so it's good to be back. Uh, honored to be here. Um, it's been great getting to know Kevin. This is the first time I've ever met Lucy. Uh, so hi, Lucy. Uh, but good to be with you guys. Great to see some kids in here. And uh, like Kevin said, I'm the family ministries director at our church, uh, Canyon Creek, up in San Ramon. And so love, uh, love adults, love families, uh, and it's great to be here. We're going to be in this kind of complicated text that Kevin read this morning. Um, up at our church in San Ramon, uh, we've been going through the Apostles' Creed. Who was here last week for Travis when Travis was here? Okay. So Travis is my boss, and he talked about uh, a section of the Apostles' Creed where he talked about Jesus, um, our, our Savior. And this week, we're going to look at uh, the Holy Spirit. And so we'll get into that in just a minute. But um, I actually wanted to see if, if you wouldn't mind reading the Apostles' Creed. Uh, with me this morning. That would be awesome. I know we've done a lot of call and response already this morning, so you guys are warmed up. You're ready to go. But if we could read this together, that would be awesome. I'll start us off, and you can just join in with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born or conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Awesome. It's a long section. I appreciate you reading that with me. This morning we're going to look at a very small but significant section of this creed, which simply says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit. We can see in this creed the, the creating work of the Father in the first section. In the second section, which, which uh, Travis talked about last week, the saving work of the Son. And now we're in this section of the creed that simply professes belief in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Can we all say, I believe in the Holy Spirit on the count of three? One, two, three. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, can we be honest real quick? Uh, when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, do we, do we truly know, do we feel confident that we know who or what we're professing our belief in? Some people here today uh, might be thinking, yes, I love the Holy Spirit. Why don't we talk about the Holy Spirit more often? I've been hoping in my heart all week, all month, all year that we talk about the Holy Spirit at New Life. Um, but to others of us, we may feel a little more apprehensive about the topic of the Holy Spirit. A little bit nervous when we hear about the Holy Spirit. And my, my question for us to ponder this morning is, why is that? Why is that? Why would we feel nervous or apprehensive talking about the Holy Spirit? Well, perhaps it's because unlike God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit seems to, to many people to be much more subtle and mysterious almost mystical. There might be some of you, when you hear of the Holy Spirit, almost automatically associate him with something negative. Maybe some kind of experience that you've had that was negative, or maybe you picture a, a money-hungry televangelist that you saw in the news, um, or an impersonal force like the, the force from Star Wars, um, or some other sort of mysticism. But that's not who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit seems confusing to many of us, yet we acknowledge that he's in Scripture. We see him all over Scripture. And so it leaves some of us it was kind of like, what do we do with the Holy Spirit? Um, and um, we acknowledge that he's there, but um, um, many of us just live much of our Christian life not paying much mind to the Holy Spirit. In fact, Francis Chan um, we love Francis Chan. He even wrote a book about the Holy Spirit and entitled it The Forgotten God. The Forgotten God with a haunting subtitle that says Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. So Francis Chan uh, goes as far as to say that we've neglected the Holy Spirit as a church. However, I think in, in, in my opinion, I think this isn't so much intentional on the part of many Christ followers. At best, we tend to shy away from what we don't understand. At worst, we tend to ignore and neglect, as Francis says, that which we don't easily comprehend. But we can, I, I believe, gain a little ground in our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is this morning. Ironically so, the Apostles' Creed hardly mentions the Holy Spirit. In this third section, there's only one brief line about him that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's it. Nothing about who he is, what he's done, or what he's still actively doing. There's a lot in the creed about uh, the creating work of the Father. A ton, a ton about the saving work of the Son, but seemingly only a brief and simple acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit. This could have been intentional. Um, the authors of the creed may have felt like they needed to spend more time explaining the work of Christ than the work of the Spirit. The, the deity of the Spirit was never really in question um, as much as, uh, er, you know, in the early church there was debate over the, uh, the deity of Jesus, how, how, how human was he, how, how God-like was he, who, who was he? Um, so maybe they were spending more time on that 
Either way, this one-line uh, mention of the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed is apropos with how many of us live out our Christian lives today. I say this with, with a, a bit of humor because this is so true of me, if I'm just honest with you this morning, if that's all right. Quick to acknowledge the first two members of the Godhead, but slow to remember and let alone worship the Holy Spirit. As mentioned before, there is an inherent mystery to the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to read a, a quote uh, from, from J.I. Packer, who talks a little bit about the Holy Spirit here. He says this, The Holy Spirit is divine. Holy says this. He is an active person, the executive of the Godhead. Kind of a cool way to think of his title. Uh, one of the things he does, he's the executive of the Godhead. Yes, but doing and aiming at what? This is where people get confused about the Holy Spirit. Doing and aiming at what? Misbeliefs abound here. Some associate the Spirit with mystical states and artistic inspirations, both Christian and pagan. Others link the, the Spirit only with unusual Christian experiences, feeling quote-unquote high, to use the world's word, seeking visions, receiving revelations, speaking in tongues, healing. But these are, and hear this, these are secondary elements of the Spirit's work, where they derive from the Spirit at all. Packer says that these supernatural workings of the Spirit, like prophecy or speaking in tongues or healing, those which the church either seems to enthusiastically embrace or run away from or kind of ignore, um, are nonetheless secondary elements to his primary work. So these are the things that we might think of up front when we hear about the Holy Spirit. Prophecy, speaking in tongues, all that kind of stuff. And what J.I. Packer here is saying is these are part, maybe part of what the Holy Spirit does, but secondary elements. So this morning we're going to seek to understand the primary work of the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day -day lives as Christ followers. We want to understand who He is to some degree, what He does to some degree, and why we should love Him. Who He is, what He does, and why we should love and worship Him. And might we arrive at this, uh, this morning at a place in our hearts where we can claim, um, I believe, in the Holy Spirit with boldness. We, we don't have to kind of what, what is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? But we can boldly proclaim as much as we do with the Father and as fervently as we do with the Son that we believe in the Holy Spirit. So pray with me if you would. God, thank you so much for this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to see who the Holy Spirit is, fill our hearts with joy and worship uh, as we uh, just revel in who he is and what he's done in our lives and what he continues to do. Uh, fill us with awe and wonder and uh, worship, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as Kevin read, our, our primary text this morning is going to be Romans 8, 1 through 11. But before we get into that, let me just give us a, a general overview for who the Holy Spirit is. Just a general overview. Who is the Holy Spirit? Because as, as mysterious as the Holy Spirit seems to us, we're actually given a lot of information about him in the scriptures. We know that the Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. All right? The Holy Spirit, therefore, is a person. He's not an it. He's not an impersonal force. He is a person. Okay? The Holy Spirit is eternal. If you ask uh, some Christians where the Holy Spirit, like when, when did he come around? A lot of people would answer uh, in Acts chapter 2, after the resurrection of Jesus, 
uh, we see in the upper room the Holy Spirit comes and he indwells believers, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes into existence. Um, but we're actually introduced to the Holy Spirit in the creation account at the very beginning of Genesis. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the, the second verse in the entire Bible, we see the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you remember this. It says the Holy Spirit was hovering, the, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters in Genesis chapter 1, or chapter 1 verse 2. The Holy Spirit is seen in various places throughout the Old Testament. Think about this. Various places throughout the Old Testament where he would come upon and fill prophets and judges and kings. So he's all over the Old Testament. He's active. In the New Testament, toward the end of Jesus' life, he tells his disciples that, hey, I'm going to die. My physical body is going to leave you, which would have been very scary and shocking to them. Uh, they clearly didn't understand that fully. Um, but he said, it's actually good that I leave you because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he is going to live within you. The Holy Spirit is actively involved in salvation. This is really cool. Uh, John sixteen eight says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. So the moment you realize that you were a sinner... And in need of a Savior, that was the Holy Spirit at work in your heart. The Holy Spirit was regenerating you, pointing you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves to point people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit teaches us all things. He guides us into all truth. He illuminates the Word of God to us. He allows it to come into our hearts and change our lives. So if you've ever read the Bible and you understood even just a little bit, of, I know the Bible can be confusing, but if you understood a little bit of it and it's moved you in your heart to, to love Jesus more, to love God more, that's the Holy Spirit at work as you read. He gifts every believer with unique gifts, the same spirit, but different gifts. These gifts are meant to build up and edify the church. The Holy Spirit also helps us when, our, when we're weak. And this is, this is really cool. It's, uh, the Bible teaches us that when we don't know what to pray, and we don't know, we're just filled with um, maybe grief or uh, emotion or um, apathy even, when we, we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He intercedes with us. He's with us as we pray. The Holy Spirit leads us in the process of sanctification, Sanctification, of course, is the process of becoming holy. So when we become Christians, that's, that's called justification, where God justifies us. And then there's sanctification, which is a lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is actively at work in that process. The Holy Spirit, like I said before, continually points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is also our great comforter. So when you're grieving or when you feel lonely or where you feel lost or confused, any kind of human emotion, the Holy, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. So all to say the Holy Spirit is amazing. This isn't a, even a comprehensive list or, or of, of who he is, but it, it's kind of helpful to, as we go into this primary text in, in Romans chapter 8 to kind of have this overview of who he is. So let's go to our primary text, which is, uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. I, I'm not sure if this is going to be on the screen, but you do have it in your, um, in your booklet. So I um, would encourage you to read along because these are, uh, Paul here is kind of using language that is, is, some of it's like repetitive and it can be kind of confusing. So if, I, I find it helpful if I'm actually reading along with it. Um, but Romans 8 is filled with 
truth and hope and beauty and passion. Uh, many people look at Romans chapter 8 and say it's the most profoundly beautiful passages in all of Scripture. People love it. Theologians love it. And uh, there's so many different reasons for that. But Paul here is going to teach us about the life and freedom available to us. Life and freedom that's available to us specifically in the Holy Spirit. So Romans 8.1, let's start there. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to think about that for a second. Think about your life. Think about the ways that you've failed, the ways that you've sinned, the ways that you have rebelled against God. Consider that. We did that in our silent moment of confession earlier. And now, let me say this verse one more time to you with those things in mind. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is there a sweeter verse than this in all of Scripture? There may be verses just as sweet, but none sweeter. This is an incredible verse. There is now no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. To be condemned is not only to be guilty, it's to be punished. To be condemned is a legal pronouncement. Damned, sentenced, accursed. And because of what? Because of guilt. What are we guilty of? We're guilty of breaking God's law. We're guilty of sin. We're guilty of rebellion um, against God, against his person, against his ways. And what is punishment? It's death, earthly death and spiritual death, eternal death, hell on earth and hell in eternity, eternal separation from him. But what then is the good news of Romans chapter 8? One, the good news is that in Christ, although you are guilty, you are not condemned. The good news in Christ is that though you've hated God, he has shown you great love. Though you, have, uh, though you are guilty of treason, he invites you to be not only a citizen of heaven, but a beloved son and daughter. To be his for now and eternity because of what Christ Jesus has done. There is now no condemnation for you if you are in Christ. And there was... Believe me, there was, for me too, and there should be. That's justice. We don't want to live in a world that doesn't have justice. God is just. But there's no condemnation anymore. Not Christ. He took on the wrath of God, so we don't have to. If you love Christ but are hurting this morning, crushed by the weight of your sin, read Romans 8.1. Read all of Romans 8. You may wonder today if it's true that God really loves you that you really do not stand condemned. You thought that when you became a Christian, your struggle with sin was near over. But no, the lies of the enemy can haunt you. The lies of the enemy will remind you of your past and your present sin. He may say things to you like, there's no forgiveness for you. Look at you, you're a joke. Get your act together. There's no way God loves you. There's no way you're not condemned. But just a few short paragraphs later, Paul portrays a courtroom setting in which a Christian would be on trial. And I imagine the prosecutor is accusing the Christian, naming all kinds of their, sin, uh, kinds of their sins and offenses against God. And the Christian is on the stand, accused of their sin. And Paul, a type of defense lawyer, throws down his fist and says in verse 33, he says this, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Jesus gets to make the choice on whether to condemn or set free. Not Satan, not you, not the person, not anyone, but Jesus Christ. Confess, yes. Repent, of course. But be assured this morning that no one can bring a charge against God's elect, not even yourself. If no righteous work of your own can save you, then no unrighteous work of your own can condemn you. It's Christ who saves. It's Christ who justifies. There is no condemnation for him. This is a legal verdict, by the way. It's called justification, where God justifies us, cleanses us, chooses to forget our sin, makes us right with him. Justification, where God views you just as if you had never sin. And this leads us to point number one this morning. And these points are going to go fast. I know I've been talking for a while already. These points are going to go fast. But our point number one is the Holy Spirit sets us free. The Holy Spirit sets us free. So the, the blood of Jesus allowed for justification to, to occur. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The Holy Spirit now, we see in verse two, uh, sets us free to live a godly life. The Holy Spirit sets us free. So follow along here. Let me read verse 1 and 2 together. Um, Again, Paul uses some language that can be kind of confusing at first glance. So he says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Now what could that possibly mean? Well, right here in verse 2, Paul talks about two laws that are at odds with one another. The first is the law of the spirit of life. Let's try to wrap our heads around that for a second. The law of the spirit of life and the law of sin and death. Now, these are laws that are laws in principle. Hang, Hang with me here for a second. They're laws that are laws in principle. When we think of laws, immediately we think of, uh, like, legal laws, like breaking a law, um, but these are laws of principle. So, so instead of thinking of a legal law, think of laws of principle like uh, the law of gravity or the law of self-preservation. And Paul is saying there's these two principles at work within us. The law of sin, which is the old law, the law that we subscribe to before we came to Christ. It's the old power of sin that comes so naturally to us. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says that we were slaves to sin before we became Followers of Christ, we were slaves to sin. We had to go where it told us to go. We had to do what it told us to do. We were slaves to it. And in the end, this is the law that leads to death. It's not just obvious sins, by the way. It's the insidious sins as well. The law of sin is active in the person who doesn't believe that they need God, that they're good enough, moral enough, upright enough. But that is false assurance. The new law, however, so we got this law of sin, Then we got the law of the Spirit. And the law of the Spirit sets us free. This law of the Spirit is what allows us to no longer be enslaved to sin. This new law is the Holy Spirit at work within us, giving us freedom and power as sons and daughters of God to those who have been pardoned from condemnation. And this law of the Spirit, as opposed to the law of sin, brings about life. Where there is the Spirit, there is life. In Romans chapter 7, the passage right before this, Paul talks, famously talks about his struggle with sin. Do you remember he goes, 
uh, the things that I want to do, those are the things that I don't do. Those are the good things. I don't, I don't do them. And the things that I shouldn't do, I know I shouldn't do, those are the things that I keep doing. And so Paul is sharing, and it's, if you struggle with sin, it's a great passage to, to read through and just kind of be like, I get you, Paul, you get me. Um, but here, just a, a chapter later, Paul wants us to know that through the blood of Jesus, we are no longer condemned. And because of the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit, we can now live in freedom and victory over the sin, over sin, over the law of sin and death, which, wa- which wages war within us. This brings us to our second point found in verses 5 through 8. And the second point this morning is this. Set your mind on the Holy Spirit. Set your mind on the Holy Spirit. And if you would again uh, read with me, uh, not out loud, but just along with me, verses 5 through 8, because again, some complex language here. And I'm, I'm really doing kind of this overview of this passage because we could t- you could do a whole series on just these verses that we're doing. But just trying to get a, a brief overview of the Holy Spirit here through these passages. So verses 5 through 8. Read with me. Uh, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So point number two, set your mind on the Holy Spirit. Here again, Paul is juxtaposing two things against each other. This time it's the Holy Spirit and the flesh. The flesh is our innate sinful nature, which is opposed to the Holy Spirit. The flesh is contrary to the Spirit. The flesh is the part of us that rails against the Holy Spirit. Now, the flesh is generally in line with the spirit of someone who does not believe. For instance, an unbeliever tends to love their flesh, tends to love their sin. The unbeliever takes no issue with their flesh. The unbeliever will even fight for their flesh to protect it. But for those of us who have believed, for those of us who Romans 8.1 is true of, that there's no condemnation for us, who know that we're saved, who now have a love for Jesus, the flesh remains, but it's a nuisance. We hate it. The flesh remains, but it's a nuisance that, that we combat. Um, it, it, it impedes our progress uh, to become more like Christ. The flesh is something that uh, we grow to hate because it inhibits perfect obedience to the Holy Spirit. The flesh in us will be eradicated someday, but not yet. But we are not left without hope. We do not have to remain a victim to the flesh when we set our minds on the spirit. That's what Paul says. You can now have victory. You're no longer a slave. You're still going to struggle with sin, but the Holy Spirit leads us to, to freedom. What exactly are the works of the flesh, by the way? What does it mean for someone to set their mind on the flesh or live according to the flesh? Let's, let's get a clear layout of what this looks like. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5. I think this will be on the screen. He says this, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries. It's like a rap. He just keeps going. Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit 
the kingdom of God. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can find at least one thing in those lists that we're like, yeah, I've done that. Or I'm still struggling with that. But we live in a world today, if, we, if you think about our culture, we think about society, we live in a, a world today where essentially anything goes. I can't imagine walking into like a philosophy class at Cal Berkeley and reading that and just seeing how that goes over. The flesh hates the Word of God. The flesh hates the Spirit. The Spirit is the one at work in the Word of God. The world says to us, whatever your flesh tells you to do, go ahead and do it. Eat, touch, taste, drink, go for it. But Paul would say this is foolishness. The flesh is like a fishing lure. It looks shiny and enticing, but on the other end of it is a hook that leads to death, spiritual and eternal death. Then he writes the gut-sinking verse of Galatians 5.21, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is where you and I start freaking out because we see this list. We're like, I've done some of those things. But we have to read this with Romans 8.1 in mind. He's not talking about true Christians here. The Christian has not been condemned for these things. Jesus died for all that our flesh is indulged in. But even though the Christ follower will continue to struggle with sin and will continue to slip and fall, we do not have a free license to indulge in the flesh and stay there. And if we truly trust God, if we truly trust the gospel, why would we want to stay there when we know that it's the Spirit who gives life? The flesh is deceitful. The flesh writes checks it can't cash. It promises life, but it brings about death. Paul goes on to talk about the type of, of good fruit the Holy Spirit produces, the good, the good stuff in a person, when a person sets their mind on the Holy Spirit. So here's what happens when we set our minds on the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I love this part. Listen to this. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I've seen some automatic fruit in my life. When I became a Christian when I was 15 years old, I, like, my mom and I hated each other. We were just fighting all the time. But like, the moment I became a Christian, like, I just loved my mom. And we, never, like, I was, we were never at each other's throats. So if you have a teenage son in here, uh, you know... God can do, God can change hearts. But there's been other sin in my life that has been a longer battle. It's been a longer frustration. So there's, there's sin that, you know, right away um, there was fruit. Uh, I saw Galatians 5.22 at uh, work in me. But there's been some slow-growing fruit in my life as well. The Holy Spirit is working inside of each of us. We are no longer satisfied with the flesh. We hate the flesh. We hate our sinful proclivities. Why? Because they hold us back from Jesus, from being who we are called to be. They hold us back from life. In my weakness, Satan loves to use my failures to come at me, to taunt me. But the Holy Spirit frees me when I set my mind on him. Paul instructs us to put the desires of the flesh to death. He tells us to fix our minds on the things of the Spirit. He tells us that 
Um, when we do so, the Spirit gives us peace and life. He tells us the, in the flesh we can't please God. Again, there are non-Christians out there who are very moral and upstanding people, but in their flesh they can't please God. In the courtroom of God, going back to verse 1, there's only two distinctions. We're either in Christ or we're not. If we're in Christ, then we can please God through the Holy Spirit. But even if we're Christians, we will frustrate ourselves when we try to please God in our flesh. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to white-knuckle a sin issue in my life, but I've found over and over again that there's no power there. But when I submit myself to the Spirit, when I set my mind on the Spirit, I find victory. I find freedom. I find, find peace. I find that God is with me, even in the battle. This leads us to point number three this morning. Christians are secure in the Holy Spirit. Christians are secure in the Holy Spirit. Read verses 9 through 11 with me. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Paul instantly tells the Christian that you, you are not in the flesh. You still struggle with sin, but you are not in the flesh. You are in Christ and you're in the Spirit. When we read about the flesh in Galatians 5, like I said, we can easily get discouraged. We see the list. We recall our sins. We're reminded that we're guilty, that we need to confess, that we need to repent. But we also need to remember there is no condemnation in Christ. And not only that, that the Holy Spirit sets us free from the law of sin and death at work in us. It is the Spirit who secures us. The flesh will continue to frustrate the Christian, but know this this morning, the Holy Spirit empowers you to live a holy life. You don't have to do this on your own. A lot of us are trying to do it on our own, and we get frustrated and discouraged, and we're like, what's the point? Christ pardons us, and the Holy Spirit draws us to him, frees us, and empowers us to live a holy life. And a lot of us are ignoring the Holy Spirit because we think, again, we we have maybe some negative perceptions about who he is, or we just we forget about him. But in the Holy Spirit, there is power. I was at the hospital uh, a couple weeks ago. I had a procedure done, uh, not, not a big deal, um, and I'm totally fine. But I was laying in there waiting for the procedure to happen. I'm staring at the ceiling. Um, and I don't, I'm morbid. I don't know. I think about things all the time, and I'm just like, I'm going to die someday, you know. We're all going to go. And, um, and I was just thinking about um, that and, and kind of was getting depressed. Uh, <laughs> but we, uh, I was reminded, because I think I was preparing the sermon at the time, that we're guaranteed life in the Spirit, life that we can enjoy now. And even when we do pass from this life, we're guaranteed life because of the Spirit. Robert Mounts once wrote, this is not going to be on the screen, but let me read this quote to you. Death comes as a consequence of sin, but life is the reward of justification. Death is the absence of God. I love that. I love that uh, definition. Death is the absence of God, but life is a right standing before him. Whether, listen to this, whether or not a person is indwelt by the Holy Spirit is truly a life and death matter. 
As we close, I'd like, um, I'd like to look at John 14 for a moment. And I'd like to just read the words of Jesus here over you. John 14, um, this was the, the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he's, like I, I mentioned this earlier, he was talking to his disciples and he was letting them know, hey, um, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. Um, and he knew they would feel lost and abandoned without his physical presence. So in his kindness, he's preparing them. And the truth he shares with them in this passage is for you as well, every believer in here today. So if you would, let me just read the words of Jesus over you. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit for us. So just take this in. Maybe close your eyes if you need to. But this is Jesus talking to his disciples and in turn talking to us as well. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Helper is the Holy Spirit. To be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or know him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I'm with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We won't get to touch the physical presence of Jesus like the apostles did 2,000 years ago on this side of heaven. Someday we will, but not yet. God has given us assurance in the Spirit. Scripture says the Holy Spirit is like a deposit. It's a guarantee. He's a guarantee for what's to come. So may we leave here with joy in our hearts this morning, knowing that there's no condemnation in Christ, that the Holy Spirit sets us free, that we are to set our minds upon the, this Holy Spirit, and He will transform us. He will give us life and peace. And finally, let us be assured in our hearts that we are eternally secure in the Holy Spirit. Let me pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church. Uh, so good to be here. And God, of course, we have to thank you for the Holy Spirit. God, we confess that sometimes we forget about him. We think about Jesus a lot. We think about God the Father a lot. But often we forget about the Spirit. And God, he is someone who is at work even when we do forget about him. But God, how much more if we focus our minds, you say to set our minds on him. God, a lot of us are, are battling sin and um, coming up frustrated over and over again. And God, help us to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit who changes, who uh, leads us in sanctification, who makes us more like Christ. Help us to feel secure in him, to know that he is with us, that you are with us in him. God, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.